ಪ್ಯಾಂಟ್ಲೂನ್ಸ್ Um, his name is uh, Dr. Devdutt Patnaik. Thank you for having Hi. us. We've heard of CEO, CIO, CFO. What exactly is Chief Belief Officer? What is your role? You see, you have to ask yourself uh, before you look at the designation is that what does business depend upon? Business depend upon how people behave. How does the internal customer behave and how does the external customer behave? Where does behavior come from? Behavior comes from belief. If I believe that your product is good, then I will come in and buy your product. If I believe the company is good, then I'll work hard. If I believe the company, if I don't trust the company, then the quality of my work will be very different. So it all borders on belief, and uh, my job is to look at the belief of the internal and external consumers of the future. So it's a simple thing if you think about it. Nothing grand, but it's something that is implicitly understood by everyone, but nobody is explicitly talked about. Right, yeah, and the first thing that I, you know, when I read about this thing on on your blog, which is at data dot com, is um, your chief belief officer, and the first thing that came into my mind was, what must his appraisals be like? You know, how does, <laughs> how does actually one measure your performance? Because you know, no, belief cannot be measured, so my work cannot be measured. <laughs> no, that was very clear because um, if you start measuring belief, you'll distort it. It is the principle. It's a simple principle. Um, you see it, it, in fact challenge is a standard belief you cannot measure it you can't manage it you can't manage belief and if you start measuring belief it's like saying okay let me have a measuring scale to decide whether husbands and wife love each other find me a measuring scale for that you can get the best consultants in the world but they'll never be able to put a measuring scale to a man woman relationship or a father child relationship the day you do that your relationship will be destroyed because you start how do you measure how do you measure any friend how do you measure a friendship how do measure lo- measure loyalty uh, we measure behavior you can't measure belief and these are one of the most important things probably it is know? the most Or fundamentals of it's not fundamentals this common sense harvard has not caught it and therefore it's not world global <laughs> <laughs> but you've done your mbbs and um, you've been in the pharma industry for 14 years yes. how did you get started on something like this well I've, my mythology was always my hobby i always know it started in fact post medicine um, i i didn't quite enjoy clinical medicine and i knew that i would be working in the industry and while doing that to remove my boredom i started dabbling in mythology reading about it and i just it's my friends who noticed that i have knack for remembering it and the ability to tell stories in different ways and to observe what nobody else could see so it started by that way just conversations which led to small articles here and there which turned into a book It was quite organic. It was not planned, and then the books became big. And then, uh, once the books became big, uh, more and more newspapers started writing about it. And then, this happened. I, I had a corporate world happening on one side, and my hobby, mythology, and I was always wondering where to go, uh, because you can't make a career out of mythology. It is a hobby. It doesn't even make you money. You do it out of passion. Yeah. Uh, but I observed that there were 
there was no difference between what was in mythology and what happened in the corporate world. Although everybody kept thinking it's different, but I always saw the similarities and I started writing about that. And that caught the attention of the corporate world. Kishore Biyani particularly, and he's offered me a job saying that, will you like to apply what you're talking about in my workspace? Um, I thought that was a bold decision. I've never, never had a... Uh, I mean, I, I have met so many CEOs. They all like my talk, but nobody uh, has taken a call like that, which he took. So let's see, we'll know in two years' time if it works or doesn't work. Another thing when I went through your bio was, as, as she just mentioned, that you're a trained doctor. Yes. You know, so there is a particular way of thinking. You know, yes. This leads, X leads to Y. Scientific. Uh, scientific of mind. Yes. But when it comes to mythology, it, it's not that. You know, it's all... No. You know, Mythology is highly structured. It's just nobody's looked at it in a structural way. Uh, in fact, it's the structuring is different. It's patterning. It's called patterning. It's based on patterning, and it's it's there. It's just that for some weird reason, with our vast knowledge of mythology, nobody has studied mythology in India. There is no course of mythology. You see, people look at the stories, but they don't analyze it. Uh, they assume a lot of things about it and approach it with those assumptions. Uh, so when you approach it with assumptions, then you don't get the answers. You have to assume it for what it is, uh, not what you want it to be. Okay. And uh, most authors I have seen, and today I can say it in hindsight, I used to find a problem when I used to read books, whether it was Amarchitra Katha or Chanda Mama. Something was missing, a magic was missing. They were nice stories, they were reducing it to fables. Exactly. They were turning it into parables, they were turning it into children's tales. Right. But the more I went into it, I kept saying that no, this was not the reason these things existed. And they are, they are a different form of uh, communication. Lessons. Um, they are not lessons. Okay. They are paradigmic structures. That's what people don't realize. You see, lessons are Aesop's fables. Hmm. Panchatantra is lessons. Uh, Ramayana is not lessons. What lesson will you give a child? Once upon a time, there was a king with three wives. What are you telling the child? <laughs> <laughs> it's such an obvious thing, right? So everybody tells me Ramayana is to teach children good things. So the first line is, once upon a time, there was a king with three wives. Please answer the question. This is not that part. This is which part? Uh, and in the end, the king abandoned his wife. Is that the lesson you're giving? This is not that part. Then I said, which part? The part which you find comfortable. The book is not saying it. You are being, you are imposing your ideas into the book. The book is not saying that. Hmm. The book is saying once upon a time there was a king with three wives. Uh, even if you reach the transliteration of Valmiki Ramayana, the yagya which is performed is brutal. You have a horse being cut into pieces hmm. and you are rolling in blood and all that kind of things. You never show that on television. So you are editing it anyway. So what are you telling your children? You are telling edited versions of what you believe is the truth. You are not telling the Ramayana. This actually goes back to the question that I had. Uh, and you have actually, you know, answered it right now. Is that, you know, when, when you are telling, when you are talking to a child, you always say, Ram ne kabhi jhoot nahi bola, isle jhoot mat bolo. You know, because that, if you want to teach a lesson you take, always try, try to take that route. You are turning a myth into a parable and mm -hmm. narrating it. Then one day the child discovers that the myth has many other things which cannot be made into a parable and then he starts getting angry. Then he says there is something wrong. He feels betrayed by his parents. Mm -hmm. Uh, because they lack, they themselves lacked the wisdom when they were narrating the story. They didn't lack, they, they, so they told a false story to the child. The child right. naturally starts assuming myth is falsehood. Right. Because you've never told mythology to the child. So when Amarchitra Katha does Amarchitra Katha, the artist uses black color for the asuras, hmm. implicitly telling the child that dark people are asuras 
Asuras are demons. Demons are dark and dirty. You have influenced the child for the rest of his life. He's colored. So Asuras are bad. Nowhere in the scriptures Asuras are bad. They are not bad at all. They are just people. They are a race of beings who are in conflict with another race. But we have been colored that Devasur Sangram. And people will say battle between good and evil. Exactly. And then I will ask the simple question. Translate the word evil in any Indian language. Translate. There's, there's nothing in it. Translate. Try. I don't know. <laughs> Such an obvious thing, right? English word. Asuras are evil. Translate karke dikhao. If it is universal, if a concept is universal, every language should have that word. For example, the word software, 100 years ago, did not exist. It's not a universal concept. It's a 20th century concept. It's not a timeless concept. In history, we created something called a software. So you have a word called software. But you don't have a word. So we assume evil is a universal concept. So it must be there everywhere. It is not. The Chinese vocabulary doesn't have a word for God. So a billion, a nation of 2 billion people does not have a word for God. And we say God is universal. Who said so? Chinese don't say so. But no, God is universal. Are so this is the flaw, the acad the uh, lack of intellectual discipline in approaching the subject. So you have uh, extremely mediocre stuff in the market uh, written by people who claim to be scholars, who don't ask basic questions. Hmm. Whatever the caliber, it doesn't matter. You don't ask these basic questions, answer it for me. It's just not there. So in academia, I don't have it. You know, so your entire generation is raised in Amarchitra. You say it's good. It's good because the stories are kept alive. That's but it has not allowed you to go beyond that. It's not asked you to question the stories. You assume the stories to be correct. For example, when my nephew saw Chitrakati paintings, he said, Ye Ram nahi hai. So, Kyun nahi hai? Kyunki usko hai. <laughs> okay. He has a moustache. Because in television, there is no moustache. And Ram wears orange clothes. Where in the scriptures is it written? They just said he went to the forest and wore clothes of bark. Clothes of bark are not orange. They are brown, black, white and they get spoiled over time and they are very tough. So you can't sit on them very comfortably. Valkal. Valkal. It's called Valkal. So these little details are not looked into. You don't go uh, sharply into... So this is where my me medicine background helps because you ask very fundamental questions to understand what the problem is. Why does a person sneeze? Why is the sneeze white in color or yellow in color? You know, uh, the mucus which comes out. You ask very fundamental questions. The more you ask, the better your diagnosis. So okay, I think that sharp discipline of medicine, I just applied it to mythology. Nobody had done it before. So I guess I'm a little, few, several steps ahead of the race. So that's when you stopped viewing mythology as children's stories and yes. started seeing Because I realized it was far complex a concept. Um, it's a documentation of wisdom over centuries. Let's say you have discovered something fabulous about life. How will you share it to children? You will turn it. The best way to communicate something in the world is a story. Then you will create a story, but you will say, but the child can edit it. So you, how do you prevent generations beyond you from editing it? You say, it's sacred hand. You connect it to a festival or ritual. You say, in this festival, the story has to be heard. The way I have told you. If you don't do it, you will burn. Something terrible <laughs> will happen. So what happens, the ritual ensures the transmission of the story over generations. Somewhere along the line, we didn't contemplate on the story. 
what is the story trying to tell us we look for simplistic answers right wrong answers these are um, and hence our understanding of the world is poor and so we are always unhappy <laughs> that's a deep thing though but once you decide that it's going to it's something is beyond you know these children stories etc so i imagine you must have decided to go to the source of uh, the knowledge or and all these sources or these books or this literature mm-hmm. so called literature is in several languages sanskrit uh, and now you are going beyond hinduism so greek latin But all now, these things see, you can't study mythology without study mythology is universal every culture has a mythology so mm-hmm. i am a student of mythology it's just that most of my writings are indian mythology because i'm from india and most people are interested in them if i start talking to you about inuit mythology and the story of sedna after 5 minutes you will switch off hmm. if i talk start talking about ted's katlipoka of aztec mythology you are not interested so my audience demands hindu mythology i don't write only on hindu mythology i write on greek i write on egyptian i write on biblical stories i write on japanese stories chinese stories Uh, Australian stories. It's just that nobody wants to hear them. <laughs> We want Ram. We're very happy with Ram and Krishna. We want to be sad. But we got thirty-four thousand crores, thirty yeah. people to talk about. You know, so there's enough to do that. And uh, so I do. No, but talk about source. Uh, remember, only twenty percent is written. Eighty percent is oral. So then, how do we know that the integrity is is still maintained? Who knows? How do you know what is right? On what basis will you say that ये कहानी सच है वो कहानी सच नहीं है? Ramanand Sagar's version has so many variations. We accept it blindly because that's the truth which he is presenting, and that's the truth that we are listening. Why do you tell that truth, and why does an audience hear that truth? Is what makes it mythology. So, is there any way to incorporate mythology in education? It is existing. It's just that we're not aware of it. What is mythology at a very fundamental level? Storytelling. it's a story that you the no let me correct that mythology is the narration of a subjective truth what i believe to be true so if i were to tell you the story of gandhi i'm not telling you what happened i'm telling you what i believe happened if someone else tells you the story of gandhi they'll tell you a different version they'll bring in their politics their prejudices no storytelling exists without politics or prejudice so all storytelling is flawed it is a subjective truth of a person which is narrated from generation so in a way everything that you hear is mythology other than pure science pure mathematics which you, where you shift emotions out but if what you read in the newspapers is not the truth but the subjective truth of the journalist colored by opinions and what you what you actually incorporate is goes through another filter of your opinions so what you finally goes into a memory bank is with not reality subjective reality so for me mythology is subjective reality technically we use this for the subjective reality of our ancestors technically but at a very mythic level everything that you hear uh, everything that you read in effect is a subjective truth not an objective truth for example uh, if you were to talk about today i were to tell you about tell me something about sharukh khan what you will tell me is what he has projected into the market based on his prejudices and his politics and his things what you will absorb is based on what your prejudices are so what you have in your head is a mythological image of sharukh khan mm-hmm. you don't know who he is and if you stretch the point for does he know who he is so the question is what you have is a narrative structure which constructs sharukh khan is it the truth 
So now, now that you have mentioned Shah Rukh Khan, and you know that if you give those sort of examples, it's much easier for a person like me to understand. You know, and that is what you are doing basically when you write in your, you know, you have your write-ups columns. Uh, you're trying to take examples uh, and compare it and compare it with. Uh, you, you're trying to take uh, examples in mythology and compare it with management principles or things that we can learn. But the important thing is keeping it relevant. For example, after uh, Slumdog went on its Oscar-winning spree, uh, you had written an article about the differences between Jay and Vijay, Vijay. where Jay is pure victory and Vijay is where somebody has to lose and somebody is a winner. So how do you stay updated? How do you ensure that your writing is relevant? Uh, no, you see, uh, for me, mythology is a cornucopia of ideas. At an emotional level, one generation's experiences are no different from the other. At a technical level, they are different. For example, ten, one generation ago, they didn't have access to podcasts. Hmm. Something new. Hmm. So at a technological experience level, we are different from our ancestors. But at an emotional level, how different are we? We are greedy, we are afraid, we are insecure, we are angry, we are ambitious, we are stupid, we are prejudiced, we are... These at an emotional level, there is no difference between one generation and the other. Otherwise, we would have evolved generations and less evolved generations. Every child, 100 years ago when the child was born, it cried. Hmm. Today when a child is born, it cries. Just because it's born in the 21st century, it doesn't come out dancing and singing. So, so basically you're saying the ideas that you're presenting are going to be relevant and Any no matter if it's... So all I have to do is look at the dip into this, could see this universal template huh. and just look at it and then see what is happening and then say, okay, this story will be relevant here. Okay. It's as simple as that. Huh. So my books you could read even 500 years from today, if they can understand English, they will perhaps understand the ideas. Because the idea will not change. Right. Desire is the cause of all suffering. That idea will not change. You know... Hmm. Let's look at an idea. Is upholding rules good? Let's throw this idea. So you know, it's it's nothing to do with the context, right? So you tell me, is upholding a rule good thing? You mean nobody is trying to challenge what is? No, if a rule is upheld, will we have a perfect society? No, not necessarily. So breaking rules is that a good idea? You say a wonderful society will come. So what are you saying? Should I break rules or uphold rules? Depends on the context. So Ramayana is about upholding rules. Mahabharata is about breaking rules. There you have it. Hmm. And both end in tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> what they mean by tragedy is death. They uh-huh. don't mean tragedy as in tragic. They say everything comes to an end one day. Cycle of life. They are not talking about tragedy as in tragedy. They are saying every, at the end of the day Krishna has to die. Ram has to die. Right. After living a life full hmm. of happiness and sorrow. Which is true for them, but which is true for us. How different is it with Nokia telephones? <laughs> I, I, now, now that you have you know, brought in this term, ended, ended it up with Nokia, we always see that there have been these references, you know, which in, in all these stories, which are now, you can see that these things are now happening. For example, there was this, I, the, from the Mahabharata series, I know that this was, there was this guy, Sanjay, was giving a life like a life commentary of whatever yes. was happening. So that is just like DTH. And then right? there are references yeah. to space travel, theory of relativity, flying chariots, nuclear weapons. So is this my imagination or are there actually parallels here? Let's ask a fundamental question. How does it matter? No, because what has been talked about so many centuries or we don't even know how long back is now actually happening. See, what I would do is I would ask the question. The way I would approach this is that why are we asking this question? How does the, that knowledge benefit us? In the past, we had flying chariots. Now we have flying chariots. 
So, but uh, mythology, we what what we earlier said that no one knows if mythology no, ever exists. Somebody asked me because you keep asking these questions all the time. Huh. I hear people that once upon a time we used to have vimanas. And right. Kind of I keep hearing that, and I I ask, okay, so, again. We're trying to establish that are these myths rea- reality or is it just someone's imagination? That's the thing. No? So we are saying that because on one hand, I believe that mythology, I don't know, nobody can prove whether it existed yeah. or happened. But on the other hand, all the references are actually coming no, to what are we saying? We are saying that these stories are documented data of the past. So we are reducing mythology to history. That's what we are doing. To me, it's reductionist. You are not taking this grand timeless template and you are reducing it to a period, you are redu- limiting it to a period, it is a Vedic period. You are not realizing the Jai Ho concept has nothing to do with Vedic period. It is here and now 24 by 7. Ramayana has nothing to do with period, it is timeless, it is ahistorical. We are making it historical. By making it historical, we are in a way subscribing to another myth. We are subscribing to the belief that human history is linear mm. and these stories are the past and now we are in the modern times and you are again talking about a prophecy being fulfilled or you are saying that in the past we were so superior. One of these needs is being satisfied. So India is getting pride in saying, you know what, in our scriptures, this was already written. So, what are, what is the motivation of saying that? The motivation is, we were a great people. Hmm. Okay, fine. <laughs> or you will say that this was historic. So I've heard people saying that did it actually happen? It happens 24 by 7. See, there are two ways of looking at these scriptures to look at it as a historical document which is colored by fantasy and told to us. This to me is a very uh, kindergarten level of mythology. It doesn't look at the timelessness of the narrative. That it is true. That's the reason I'm saying showing the relevance. It's not, I'm not looking at a historical document. I'm looking at a mythological document. History claims to be talking of the objective truth. Mythology doesn't claim is subjective truth, which is more important. In our minds, there's a measuring scale which says, if it is objective truth, it is better. Yes. Because we are raised in a scientific thing, which is only 200 years old. 200 years ago, there was no scientific thinking. People didn't distinguish between objective and subjective. In most cultures, it is the industrial revolution. Before that, this great divide between mythos and logos did not exist. So you see, actually, this is a very dangerous line. Actually, how do you know it's actually? <laughs> actually means what? So you have words like prophecy. The world is coming to an end. These are all prophetic mythological narratives which we are trying to turn into uh, history because we believe that mankind began at a particular point and will end at a particular point or we are another theory is that we are improving over time that's also mythology another theory is we are getting worse over time that is also mythology but then what is true because my mind can only take true and false no, it's very difficult no, for limiting yourself so how do I how do I go beyond this that this is called binary logic no? but yeah exactly one and zero have you heard of fuzzy logic uh, I have but you know, <laughs> don't ask <laughs> <laughs> no but contextual thinking in this context it is right so standard operating procedures assume that the context is standard but the context is not standard who says life is standard are you the same person you were 5 years ago so the rules which applied 5 years ago don't apply to you now what seemed appropriate then is no longer appropriate now so is eating rice good for you it depends on your constitution your age your 
you can't give a standard answer. It is based on time, space, matter. So binary logic in a context is fuzzy logic. Okay. So you just add a third dimension. Yes, no, but context. Put it in a context. And the answers are very different. So what? Do, how do the ancients explain it? They have Vishnu taking two forms, Ram and Krishna. Two different narratives. Both saying we are establishing dharma. But they are both doing it in totally different ways. And they say, oh, but you know what? Ram belonged to uh, Treta Yuga. Krishna belonged to Dvapara Yuga. Now, you can read it and say, oh, this they are referring to historical periods. 2000 BC and 267 BC according to this astronomical thing. So you are reducing it to history. Or say, oh, this is what they are trying to say. That this is contextual thinking. In this situation, following this results in dharma. In that situation, following this results in dharma. Okay. So... I find looking at it at that profound timeless level far more enriching than looking at it as a historical document. Because I think that need to turn it into a historical document A does not enrich us. B is more chauvinistic. You know this whole divan dialogue, my culture. So okay. it's, it's this great uh, celebration of chauvinism. So, I am superior to the African, I am superior to the American, I am superior to the Englishman. Where from comes this need to be superior? If we are saying Vedas are timeless, then it doesn't matter which space it belongs to. Why can't these truths have been discovered by Eskimos? They just didn't have the language to transmit it. But there were wise men everywhere. The Aztecs sitting in the jungles of Africa would have understood Sanatan, no? Looking at the stars and the sky. He just expressed it differently in a different language. We were lucky because the language evolved, transformed, survived. Chinese expressed it very differently. The Greeks expressed it very differently. Everybody is trying to understand the meaning of life. And they are communicating it to their children using different languages. It's just that we believe one language is superior to the other, which I find it very strange. It doesn't make any, it doesn't enrich me. There's a whole school who find great glory in it. Politics, uh, Politics parties have been formed on it. And right. People have gone to war over it. And it's so silly. But it's, it's true though. I mean, all uh, the whole politicization of, you know, the, we, were, we were just talking uh, that BJP ha- in his manifesto has put Ram as one of its main things. How would you say, if I say Obama uses mythology? Exactly. So it, it's happening in US, it's happening in India, it's happening everywhere. You can't not live with mythology. The whole notion of the promised land Yes, we can. Who said so? You create, constructing an imaginary world of the future and saying, yes, we can. No? That future is imagination. It's not real. But it is driving an entire nation. That belief that I can turn the world into a better place is what is driving a nation. But it is imagination. Any. Uska map dikha? So there are a lot of common things between Indian mythology and world mythology. Yes. For example, when Krishna was born, there was this evil king that wanted to destroy all babies. Evil king? Tell me in Hindi. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry, not evil king. There was a king who wanted to destroy all babies and when Jesus was born, the same thing happened. So do you find a lot of similarity? You were just talking about the differences. Do you find similarity? Between there are similarities and differences, but there's a fundamental difference you must understand. There's a presupposition in the Western mythology Popular, not all Western mythology, mm. the presupposition that there is only one life. Mm. We believe mm. in reincarnation. That is a fundamental difference. Is Ram different from Krishna? His life is, but according to us, he is the same avatar of Krishna. So is it true or false? 
That's a binary question. I'm asking. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you can't answer that question. So, is Jesus and Moses the same or different? In that context, they're different. In this context, they're not. So, we are looking for absolute answers. There is similar. You see, the eight, we have not evolved from 19th century thinking. 19th century thinking was very binary, was very linear. It was what is called modern thinking. After that, there is something called post-modern thinking, which has realized that a lot of our thinking is subjective and cultural specific. This has not been applied to mythology in recent times. Structuralism, post-modernism. It has not come to the mainstream. So most of the mainstream writers still are writing what was written in the 19th century. The world and the academy has evolved and moved on from there. But we are Similarities. So the Jung, Freud, these are all old school. Because they constantly looked for commonalities. They did not study cultural differences. So Fraser in his Golden Bough, Joseph Campbell, Jung, uh, Freud, all of these people were trying to look at the universal uh, universal thinking. They would look at non-Greek mythology and say, yeah, sab hota hai. They would, Jung would look at something in uh, Christian tradition and this happens everywhere. Fraser would say this happens everywhere. Joseph Campbell wrote a book, Hero with a Thousand Places. Everywhere in the world there is a hero. There is a fundamental flaw in his thinking. Hero exists in one life cultures. One life cultures. That means, ek hi zindagi hai. To is zindagi mein junoon hoti hai. What is Junoon? Junoon assumes. What is Junoon? Is an obsessive uh, ambition, aspiration. Alexander had Junoon. Why did he have Junoon? Because he thought that is one life. Indians don't believe in that. So the notion of Junoon doesn't exist. Then at one particular time you will decide this is all Maya and you will move out of it. But there is no Junoon. This whole obsessive aspirational thinking doesn't exist. So today our corporate world is influenced by Western management schools which are all driven by this one life principle. Your line of sight is only one life. No. Which CEO lives after 100 years? So he doesn't think beyond 100 years. He only thinks of his uh, shareholders for the next 100 years. His line of sight is not over generations because he doesn't believe I'll come back to this world and the world I'll come back to will be a horrible world because I have done something bad. So you're destroying the planet because you don't think. You only think of your share, uh, shareholders for the next 50 years. But if your line of sight is cyclical, so you will only come back to this dirty, messy world. So you have environmental pollution by the CEOs, huge corporations, governments not taking. Your line of sight is only one life, no? Our politicians are obsessed about money. Why? Because they think, one is in the You've lost touch with the notion of rebirth because you look down upon it. In the last hundred years, we've been told, no, 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 reality is there's only one life. That's real because that's measurable. I can't measure rebirth. I can measure one life. That's the thing about us Indians. On one hand, we're very chauvinistic, like you said, about this is my culture is the greatest. At the same time, we need the West to tell us that, okay, yoga is great. So now we've also started. We don't preserve our culture. No, that see, it's, I think it comes from lack of faith in ourselves. Somewhere along the line, we've lost faith in ourselves. So if you've become chauvinistic in this outreach, this whole department of, I'm upset, somebody makes something with Hindu calendar art. Hmm. They get upset and they want to have more chars. It's my ankar. How can you insert my culture? The moment you say my culture, it's ahankar. None of the scriptures praise it. None of the scriptures praise territoriality. And yet we want to be territorial. 
But at the same time, we don't do anything about it. I remember when Jackie Chan came down to India, he was actually spotted sweeping the temple premises. And later on in an interview, he said, why are you Indians not taking care of your own? Don't do. What difference does it make? It will die. Like you. Ah, Wow. (laughs) No, I mean, why should you? Why should, what is this, why should you have a benchmark of how Indians should behave? So if they do A, B, C, D, then they respect the culture. I mean, I met this gentleman saying that we don't preserve our culture the way they preserve Americans. You should see how they preserve. They have 300 years of culture. They preserve it. I said, how much will you preserve in India? Because what matters to the ancients and even today has never been this material world, no? They have always been focused on the larger issues. Deal with the larger issues. Attachment to things doesn't get you anything. So when I'm saying I want to preserve this property or this temple, you are getting attached to Deha. Take care of it functionally as as far as you can, but don't get attached to it. So tomorrow is a great structure, breaks down, let it break. Ram also died, Krishna also died, and they came back again, and it will go on happening again and again. So just let it go. So, shouldn't it? This, it just sounds very opposite to what one would be thinking about. You know, it's, it's about fighting to preserve. Yeah, it's aspirational, you know, one life thinking. But what? We just let it destroy and go on? You are assuming that you can control the world. We can try. No, the world can take care of itself. (laughs) Wow. I have not seen that answer. You have got 5 billion human beings right now. If this becomes 10 billion or 20 billion, then one day the world will react nastily, no? So before it self-implodes, we should do something. No, it will come back again. Rebirth. (laughs) Either you believe or you don't believe. If you don't believe, then it's a different thing. But if you believe, let it happen. No, do what you can do. This, it no attention. You're saying don't sweat it out. Let 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 things happen. If you want to take care of the temple, you take care of the temple. No, why are you motivating others? Because it's all about control. I want others to behave the way I tell them to behave. Mm. It is coming from ahankar. No, you want to take care of the building. Go sweep it. Who is stopping you from sweeping it? No, I will sweep it only if the government makes a law. Are That means you are not self-motivated. If you are self-motivated, do you it. You don't impose your beliefs. Ha, Mother Teresa said, I will take care of people. She never asked money from people. People gave it to her. He said, if you don't give it to me, it's okay. I will manage on my own. What we are creating is this kind of checklist. This is again, this checklist phenomenon. If I do this, 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 we will take care of our culture. Nobody is paying me to take care of mythology. I am doing it because I love it. I'm not going to save Indian culture. I do it because of the sheer joy of the the infinite wisdom within it. I write it. What will I do with it after getting all it? I have got my kick. I said, okay, I'll write it. So I get up, go to publisher. Publisher, if he agrees or not, I don't go to him and say, please save the great Indian culture. What nonsense. He's doing it because he wants to make money out of it. It incidentally benefited you because you read it and it enriched your life. And you said, okay, I want to meet you. You came and met me. But it is not done with some chauvinistic obsession of saving Indian culture. It is just doing because it is brilliant. It's a rich, it has improved your life. So when you want to save the temple, save it because it is enriching your life. If it is not enriching, let it go. Every day so many old people are abandoned. So many children are abandoned. We are not, I mean, if you, if you start, you will go mad. How many will you try to save? You know? Just do what you can. Do what you can if you want to. Not because you have to. You, are, you have to do nothing. All the infinite choices exist in front of you. We are being told that this is the way you should behave. Q. So we are being told you should have a career. Who said so? And if you look at the Mahabharata, 
they will keep asking who said so i'll give an example the bhavani has been to have according to society one <laughs> which society this one current one but if great vedic culture did agree on that kunti tells her husband that once upon a time women were free to go to everybody and produce children so great vedic culture said that no no which is better <laughs> it doesn't or uh, uddaka goes to the father and he says to his sister i have my mother with another man and he says yeah i know he says this is the bad is no women are free to go wherever they want to go then he said how do i know you are my father he says fatherhood is born in the heart so i am your father because i love you not because i conceived you in your mother's womb it's born of love so he says it doesn't matter i mean maybe i and he gets very upset shweta ketu gets very upset and he says i'll make marriage laws now women should be only faithful to their husbands that's how the marriage came into being so even the scriptures say marriage exists for territorial reasons mm. not out of affection not for love because it is ultimately fatherhood is about affection so you see uh, look at the mahabharat shakuntala king goes to the forest finds a beautiful woman sitting in the hermitage he has sex with her she has sex with him and he goes away he says i'll come back for you and then the father comes to the girl's house the girl's and finds the girl is pregnant and it's all lovely very nice bas child is born child grows up they are all living happily in the forest this man has never come back and they are not even wondering why he has not come back they wonder the son says who's my father so ladki then shakuntala says come i'll take you and mother and son go to the city and she meets him and says listen this is your father meet him so the king says how can you call him my son you are how do i know i have never met you in your life pata nahi kahan se tum aa gayi so she looks at him and says listen buddy <laughs> i didn't come to claim stake claim over your property this boy wants to know of which seed he is born i showed him khatam tu tension kyu le raha hai and she walks away this is not the shakuntala story which yeah. which amar chitrakatha told amar chitrakatha told you kalidas story which is written almost 1000 years after the mahabharata in which the woman because she is pregnant is terrified of what society will tell her and then she goes and her husband doesn't remember her and she gets kya hota hai usko she gets uh, taken, away taken away by the gods and there's so much of tragedy and drama and you know it's it's social it's talking about a society which has changed which says that oh women should not be pregnant outside marriage and legitimacy is very important shakuntala never had in the mahabharata see the story has changed the society has changed So you so can... chose Kalidas Shakuntalam, and thereby influenced an entire generation of people about how you should approach marriage and legitimacy and sexual relations. Why did they not also say that this is the Mahabharat Shakuntala? Why didn't they give both options to the next generation? Because they were controlling the way you are supposed to think. In innocence, I am not saying there were some manipulative, paranoid monsters. they were just doing it because they believe that was the right way to go about it when i discovered all these stories i was laughing because i realized that they are just telling you stories after stories and you take what you want so what i'm saying is what do you have to preserve do you want to preserve values or buildings decide what more matters more values or buildings where are the values you have old politicians refusing to let go of the parliament this is the yayati complex I will destroy the young generations, but I will be king. No values. Mahabharat happens because of that. No, Shantanu tells Bhishma, "Let me marry, but you don't marry." 
Bhishma says, Haan. And we all say, Bhishma is such a great son. Please look at that story. Old man tells young son, What a horrible father that is. No, Kitna Chaladka. So an entire generation is being told, obey your father, however stupid he is. Now you have an entire parliament full of old people feeding on the young generation, the world's youngest nation, ruled by the world's oldest parliament. Why? And then you look at the Mahabharata. The last of the bloodline is Bhishma. After that, none of them are bloodline. So the Mahabharata is no different from what is happening in society. The day the old live off the young, the society is doomed. They experienced it then. They put it in the form of a story. And they told the young people, please read it. We didn't read it because Amar Chitakatha did not tell us this. And we allowed an entire generation of old parliamentarians to go. So, what is preservation of culture? At one point you mentioned that these are not lessons. But at the same time you say we should learn from these. We should learn. They don't teach. They are just stories without any judgment. without any, Just kahani ke kahani. They'll give you one story, they'll give you the opposite story. Then they'll give you another third story. They'll give you fourth option, fifth option, sixth option. You'll be completely confused at the end of it. And you'll say, what should I do? They say, you decide. Wow. <laughs> Why should we tell you? Your situation is not our situation. No? So you decide. They will give you certain benchmarks. They will say, ask where are you coming from? So that's why I kept asking your questions. What are you gaining by the answer? Whom are you celebrating? Are you celebrating your soul? Are you celebrating your ego? 99.999 times you're celebrating the ego. So then you'll be suffering. But the 0.0001 when you are doing the soul, that's pure happiness. So they would say, can we increase the 0.0001 to 0.0002 and then 003? Can you focus on that your entire life? At least reach 1% by the end of your life. 99% time. That's the benchmark they've given you. So you know, there's a Bengali folk tale. Uh, Vaisham uh, Janbajaya asks Vyasa, uh, why did you not, if you knew the war is going to take place, why did you not stop my ancestors from fighting the war? He says, because when people are passionate, they don't listen to reason. He says, that's the rubbish. If you logically explain, people will understand. He says, okay, don't marry that girl you're going to marry tomorrow. He says, how can you say that? I love her very much. She's very pretty. He says, don't marry. He says, no, just trust me, don't marry. No, I said, what do you that? And he gets married. Third day, he gets a venereal disease. Janmaja gets a very real disease, sexually transmitted disease. Mm. And he looks at him and says, I'm so sorry, I should have heard you. So exactly, every generation, nobody hears the good advice. So they suffer. Sanatana hai ye. It will never change. So why are you trying to change it? So you will not listen to good advice and your children will not listen to good advice and your grandchildren will not listen to good advice. And you will be frustrated. Why are they not listening to me? I'm sure your father says the same thing too. Why does she not listen to me? And for her own good. These are dialogues which will happen in every family, in every society. This is, the, this is what in Sanskrit is called Sanatana, timeless. So don't fight it, go with the flow. Ah, I think on that note, uh, we should probably wrap it up. We've been talking for about 45 minutes now. <laughs> Whoa. And uh, thanks a lot for having us over. And you have given us, given me at least a lot to think right now. Because apparently there is, you got to keep, so, so the things that you said is, you got to keep on questioning, you know, whatever is there in front of you. Choose your part. Yeah. And it's all about texting. <laughs> okay, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot.